Hey guys, Brock Cannon here. Welcome to the podcast today. Super pumped about this one. So let me ask you this. How does a 41-year-old with three kids who is a full-time truck driver for UPS find the time and let alone the energy to not just be an ultra runner, but to actually dominate the scene by winning 100-mile races, by winning 24-hour races, and still finding time for his family and everything else. Meet Mr. Jake Jackson. This guy is totally epic, you guys. And in this episode, we're going to kind of get into the deconstruction of his life, his habits, his routines, and really how he does it all. Going to get into some great stories. You guys are going to be incredibly inspired in this episode. So without further ado, Jake Jackson. Everyone, welcome to the Brock Cannon Podcast. Super stoked and excited today to have the ultra trucker himself, Mr. Jake Jackson. Been looking forward to this one for a long time. Jake, welcome to the show. Thanks, Brock. It's great to be here. Jake is no stranger to podcasts. He's been on, uh, man, you've been on a few lately, Trail Runner Nation, and what else have you been on? uh, I've been on the Orange Bud podcast. It was one of my sponsors twice, and then uh, it was uh, Training for Ultra that was just recently on. Training for Ultra, that's right. Yeah. That was the one that I listened to recently. Awesome. Well, super cool. We're stoked to have you on. So this podcast kind of interesting, Jake, as I've mentioned, we have all kinds of listeners. It's not just, you know, trail runners and runners. We have entrepreneurs, we have stay at home moms. We kind of have a plethora of listeners all across the board. But for those that are not familiar with you, give us maybe just a little bit of your background. Where were you born and raised? um, And kind of what took you to where you are currently? Uh, yeah, cool. Um, so I'm 41, married. I have uh, three kids, 14, 12, and 9. Um, grew up pretty much my whole life in Southern California um, in the Inland Empire. Kind of bounced around div- a couple different cities. We're living in uh, Loma Linda, California right now. Yeah, so I'm a truck driver at UPS. Been working there for 23 years now. Wow. Yeah, kind of just right out of high school. That's where I ended up, so... Amazing. Um, yeah. Keep keep going. I'm sorry. Yeah, that's fine. Um, kind of got into running, I don't know, about eight years ago now. Um, my wife and I, we had just had our uh, our daughter, third kid, and we were kind of just not very happy with our health in general and both pretty overweight. Um, I was about 50 pounds heavier than what I am now. And uh, I ended up getting uh, some gym memberships and... I was never really big into lifting weights and, uh, you know, I played sports and growing up, you know, as a kid and kind of got out of it, got into music a little bit more, playing the guitar and trying to go down that whole, uh, band, you know, playing music with my friends and kind of got away from being more active and put on some weight. And, you know, we got these gym memberships and, uh, you know, weight, weightlifting was, nothing I got into all that much and the treadmill was there and so I started running on the treadmill and that's kind of how everything got started just uh getting outside and you know starting with that 5k and then moving up and things just kind of spiraled out of control since then <laughs> okay so like and, and it's funny because I feel like I know you so well but I've never <laughs> met you in person yeah, I know. like how tall are you what do you weigh currently and then that'll kind of help us understand you were 50 pounds overweight. What, what did you weigh then? What did you weigh now? Yeah, I'm, I'm five, nine. Um, 
I think at my heaviest, I got to, geez, I think it was almost 180. And now I'm, I, I'm sitting right around 135 usually is when I'm, yeah, race weight. So, yeah. Right it wasn't on. something that I, you know, it, it took several years to drop that weight. It wasn't, you know, we, we didn't, we weren't as conscious of our diets back then. It was just mostly just exercise and, you know, slowly, you know, you start running and then you're like, oh, well, maybe I should start working on my diet and go down that rabbit hole for a little while. And things just kind of pro- progress to where we are now. So, okay. I always, I always like to ask people, like when you started running, um, did you actually like it or did it suck for a while? Was there like a period of suckiness that you had to get? Because <laughs> I know there is for most people, which is why I think so many people hate running because they can't get over that hump. Right. Um, yeah. I, I When I first started, you know, running at the gym on the treadmill, you know, I thought that that was, you know, the most I was ever going to do. I never ran outside and we had lived in Apple Valley, California, where the weather is good probably a month out of the year. It's either windy or extremely hot or extremely cold. So when <laughs> going and running outside, it was miserable. I hated it. Uh, so I was always more of a treadmill guy than anything. And then eventually we moved down from Apple Valley. Um, where did we live? I think we moved down to uh, Fontana. And I started to, we lived by these hills close to the house. So I would go, you know, up in the trails and, just to go exploring basically. And that's when I really got into, you know, running and started getting into a few of the shorter races and yeah, things just kind of, uh, the evolution of me running from mostly on a treadmill in my garage to <laughs> mostly wanting to run outside all the time. It, it, you know, I started hiking a lot more with a couple buddies and, uh, y- yeah, it's just, I was just transformed from, being mostly inside to wanting to go explore more out on the trails. So what do you, what do you like most about running on the trails? I think it's that you're out there in nature and you, you don't know what's around the corner. You know, maybe I'll run a brand new trail and you just never know what's, what's coming up. You, it's just that exploring side of me. Um, I love it. Um, I was a, a road runner for a, a very long time before I actually got into trail running. And, you know, after a while you start running the same streets and things start, you start seeing the same, you know, stop signs and street lights. And, but when you're out on the trails, there's really nothing to stop you except yourself. So that's what drew me to the trails. Mostly is just being that just freedom, being out there and, and seeing things that, you know, f- 75, 80% of the people never get to see themselves. So that's very true. And I, I completely agree with that. I think there's like, there's almost like this inner child that comes out when you get out on trails and exactly well put, like there's this exploratory desire to see, you know, like, Oh, I haven't been up there. I haven't, you feel like Indiana Jones for like a little little bit (laughs) exactly and a lot of the times you know you get out on these trails and you're nowhere near civilization so it's almost like you're on a different planet you're just and and some of these trails you go up and they're maybe two miles away from your house and you think man this has been sitting here this whole time and i've been missing out and how how come everybody is not out here experiencing it's just so beautiful out here 
So where you so you started kind of getting out on trails when you lived near Fontana, and I I know of Fontana very well from my mountain bike racing years. Mm-hmm. I know they always had some races out there. Um, where you live currently, how far are you from trails? Well, we have uh, it's called uh, Crafton Hills. It's by a college. That's about a uh, ten minute drive from us, and then about a mile from where we live now, uh, there's a a. a just a, a small group of hills that I can basically run from home and just get lost in those hills. Uh, there's lots of mountain bikers that have created uh, so many great trails up there. And yeah, it's just super easy. Uh, and of course, we live pretty close to uh, Big Bear. So we can go up there. Uh, it's about an hour drive. And then Mount Baldy is about an hour drive from us too. So we're, we're not very far from getting up into the mountains or some, some form of uh, trails. Oh yeah, you're in a great spot. So do you like most of the times you just prefer to run from the house, like for time's sake? <laughs> yeah, I mean, if I can, uh, instead of driving ten minutes to get somewhere, I can add an extra, you know, mile and a half just running there. So yeah, to exactly. save on time, you know, I'm I'm usually crunched for time during the week because of work and kids and sleep. So if I can squeeze in a mile just by running on the streets to get to the trail, that's usually what I do. Yeah, I, I'm totally with you there. There's something beautiful about that. Um, so you started kind of more on road running. And then do you remember the actual year or how long ago it was when you actually entered your first trail running race? Um, well, I was scanning through Ultra Sign Up this morning, actually. And I think it was about four years ago I ran the Calico 50K. Okay. Yeah. And that, that was your first. That was your that, first Ultra. Yes. Or Trail was, Ultra. Yeah, yeah, that was uh, probably the biggest eye-opening experience I ever had. It was just, I, you know, I had had that uh, road running marathon background for the longest time, and I figured, oh, you know, this is only going to be an extra six miles, you know, you know, can't be that bad. And I mean, I had been trail running on and off, uh, you know, leading up to the race, but going that extra six miles or, you know, five miles was a real eye-opening experience, and to do it you know, in an area that I had never run on before. Uh, yeah, I learned a lot in that race to say the least. So what, talk to us about that first race. Cause I, I, um, I think our listeners always enjoy kind of hearing the good, the bad, the ugly, the struggle. Cause I, I think a lot of people probably look at you now, Jake, they're like, Oh, that guy's got it figured out. He crushes everything he does, but maybe talk to us about like some of the struggles, some of the lessons with, dialing in your nutrition and, and just everything. Yeah, for sure. Um, so the, the beginning of the race, you go down this, uh, road out to get to the trails and, you know, everybody starts out fairly fast because it is downhill. And, uh, I was kind of in the, the lead pack. And, uh, once we hit the trails, it's like basically running on beach sand. And, I, you know, I never run, anything like that besides just messing around at the beach basically so yeah. you, you, you end up in that and you're just trying to find any kind of surface that's hard to run in and it, it just it just was not happening so Ugh. i just had to tell myself you know what this is this is trail running this is the what, what you got to do so just suck it up and uh you know as the you know race progressed um i was racing everybody probably knows who jesse haynes is you know western states top 10 finisher and uh, I had no idea who he was. I was just trying to keep up with him <laughs> and he took off and, you know, I was kind of by myself for a while and 
we get about halfway through the first climb and I, I realize, oh, geez, you know, it's, it's starting to get pretty warm out here. Maybe I should actually start like drinking a little bit more, you know, <laughs> when you're a marathoner, you have, you know, an aid station every mile away, right. you take these little sips and I was like, wow, that, you know, maybe it's starting to get kind of hot. Maybe I should uh, start working on my nutrition now. And so get up to the top and you start, you bomb down this uh, really tight single track area where you're kind of like boulder hopping through some of it. And I get down to the bottom and my legs start cramping. Mm. And at the time... How, how far in were you, would you say? I would say probably 20 miles and it, you know it's right around that time during a marathon when you start hitting the yeah. wall you know you start you know losing energy and you know wanting to slow down and I usually I never really had any issues with cramping but all of a sudden like my entire legs started seizing up and you know I, I didn't know anything about salt pills or electrolytes it was just basically water and Gatorade that's what I had on yeah <laughs> Typical, you know, road, road marathon kind of mentality. And so I, I struggled through that part and we get to about three miles to the finish and I'm starting to have to walk a lot more, uh, legs, you know, trying not to bend them at all. Cause that caused them Ugh. to cramp. And <laughs> yeah, it was pretty horrible. And, uh, got to the finish and yeah, I just learned a lot in that one. Um, you know, and I learned something from every single race. So it's not like that was the one that taught me everything, you know, every race you right. or actually every run, sometimes you learn something new. So it's an eye opening experience of the whole trail racing world for sure. And what do you feel like for people that, you know, are maybe road runners right now considering doing an ultra. And it's funny because I think, I think for the most part, you know, minus like some of the bad waters and, and some of the ultras that are on the road primarily, but, most of them are on the trails. So like, what do you, what do you feel like is the biggest adjustment or thing that maybe a road runner needs to kind of prep for before they go racing on the trails, particularly yeah. with an ultra? I think for me, the biggest eye opener was I can't run everything on the trail. Uh, Amen. it took me a long time to get it in my head that it was okay to walk. Um, yeah. And sometimes I still struggle with that. You know, you, you want to be able to run things, you know, marathon running, it's kind of all about times, you know, you want to hit your splits, you want to hit, you know, your paces, and you expect to finish at a certain time by running those paces. Well, trail running is completely different. Um, unless you run on the course, and you know how long it's going to take you to get through certain sections, you really have no idea how you're going to feel. Um, and so, yeah, having to slow down a lot more and walk uh, just you know, going up a certain grades, you just can't run them. It's just more uh, efficient to hike them. And so it took me and, a long and, time. And for people that don't understand that, Jake, why, why is it more efficient? Well, I think it's just when, you, when your body gets to a point where you're slowing down enough to where you're working harder by keeping that running motion than to just power hike. Um, right. You know, even some of the elite guys, when, when you go into races, you know, they may be able to have that aerobic capacity where it's more comfortable for them to have that running motion where I found a lot of times it's just, it's it conserve energy so much more just by getting a good power hike in. And, and it's also a good way to, to break up some of the, um, 
the muscles that you're using when you're running compared to hiking. So it kind of gives your legs a little bit of a break. Right. And are you, are you, are you putting more, um, energy use into kind of your butt and your quads, maybe your hamstrings when you're power hiking versus just your calves? Definitely. Yeah. So you're shifting Um, that and preserving that makes sense. And it's also, you know, it's a good time, you know, when you're climbing or hiking to, you know, get some more nutrition in, uh, it's a little bit easier to pay attention to where you're putting your feet. Um, so yeah, there's, there's definitely pluses and minuses to being able to run. I mean, those top guys, uh, how they can get up those hills so fast running like that, it's beyond me. It's just, I've never felt like I've been a very good climber, uh, during races. I, I like to run. So when I'm climbing, I'm always looking for that next opportunity to try to get running again. Right. Well, I mean, it's, it's, um, I was going to say earlier, if, if you, uh, if you ever wanted to transition to cycling, I think you've, you've got that cycling climbing weight dialed in like 135 is kind of that sweet spot in climbing where you can just fly up the hills. Do you feel yeah. like it makes a difference in ultra running as well to kind of have, I guess, a lower body weight to get up the hills faster, essentially? Um, I think so. Um, I had changed my diet about a year ago and dropped about, I don't know, six or seven pounds. And I think just the weight, especially running downhill, you don't feel that impact on your, your legs and knees as much. Um, that's one thing. Um, I don't know what the exact ratio for body weight compared to, you know, how, how much faster you're going to run. But yeah, I think definitely losing the weight is a definite benefit. Yeah, without a doubt. And you hear these stories of like David Goggins, who in his first 24 hour race, like literally broke the bones in his foot because he was just such a big dude. Yeah. Like that weight and that impact. So that makes sense. So I'm, I'm fascinated to get into your weekly schedule a little bit. And I know on previous podcasts, I've heard, you know, you kind of walk through that, but tell everyone, first of all, like an average week for you, what does that look like? Walk us through that. How do you balance your work, three kids, getting in the training time that you do? Because it's pretty <laughs> remarkable. Um, I, I don't know. Sometimes I, I look at it and I say, how do I do it myself? But I think a lot of it's just uh, my wife and I, we, we have a good schedule down with the kids. And I start, I start my work uh, in the afternoon and don't get off until the early morning. So it's a lot of... Uh, which is not the greatest uh, broken up sleep. You know, I typically, you know, Monday morning, I'll get up uh, around seven, help my wife get the kids off to school. I'll go out and get my run in. Usually it's about an hour. And then I will come home. Sometimes I eat something. Sometimes I'll just skip breakfast altogether. Uh, Take a short hour nap, uh, get up, have lunch, and then I'll be off to work. And... (laughs) Usually if the weather's good, I can squeeze in, you know, a shorter three mile run on my lunch break. Or if I need to, I'll take a 30 minute, you know, power nap. (laughs) I do that quite often, you know, just to kind of get up, catch up on just a little bit of sleep. But yeah, that's usually my uh, Monday through Friday routine. Uh, Yeah, you just kind of squeeze things in wherever you can, whenever you have a, you know, free half an hour here or there, squeeze it in. So how much sleep on average would you say you're getting in a 24 hour period? 
during the week, I would say it's probably maybe five to six hours. Wow. And the, the strange thing is that working at UPS, I've always worked really strange hours. So it's just kind of something that I have gotten used to, I guess. And the more I hear about recovery and how important sleep is, you know, I really start to wonder, you know, geez, if I actually had some normal sleep, how much better could I perform? Always right. the weeks when I'm on vacation and I get, you know, eight, nine hours, I can definitely tell that I, you know, feel a lot better during the week. But, you know, life isn't perfect. <laughs> we have to make, you know, adjustments. And I'm sure my work schedule will not always be like this, but it is the way it is now. So I just kind of deal with it. Well, that's remarkable, man. I mean, would you say you feel tired, like, kind of all the time during the week or like <laughs> coffee? Like, how do you kind of mitigate that just exhaustion at times? Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I always tell myself, ah, oh, it's just good ultra training, you know, go run a 100 <laughs> mile race, you're going to get tired. So you're used to doing this. Um, yeah, I, I don't, I don't depend on, you know, caffeine. I try to limit how much coffee I drink every day. I love my coffee, but yeah, I don't, I don't try to go overboard. I think it's just something my body's just gotten used to. And I function fairly well on, you know, the little bit of sleep I get. I do notice that, you know, when I am on vacation or even the weekends, a lot of the times, uh, when I get to that, like seven or eight hours of sleep, my body starts to hurt because it's just not used to being in that, you know, horizontal position for that long. So I end up getting up early uh you know ask my wife i'm always the first one usually to get up on the weekends and i'm she's always like why didn't you sleep in i was like i just can't anymore you know i get to seven hours and i'm, I'm good i'm ready to go yeah that's incredible and then from what i've heard on the weekends because your wife is also a avid runner and so yep. you guys kind of take turns on who goes on their long run on what day yeah, she usually does all her long runs on Saturday because I get off work, you know, Friday night, early morning, so late. So, uh, yeah, she'll get up and get her long run out of the way and I'll jump on the treadmill and or sometimes, you know, my kids are old enough now that I can do some loops around the house. And then yeah. Sunday will be my day that I go out and do my long run. So would you say would you say that that long run day is like probably the most important training day of the week for you? Or is there something else that is equally important? Um, depending on where I am on my, in my training. Yeah, it definitely is the day when I, you know, it's just that time on feet. Um, I do sprinkle in, uh, during the week, um, some faster days or I'll, you know, try to get maybe a, a half marathon in during the week. And, and it's all just for what I'm doing, uh, ultra wise, you know, I don't do a lot of specific kind of training. Um, if I'm, you know, if I know my next race is going to be in the mountains, you know, I'll try to get some more climbing in, or if it's going to be a flatter race, I'll try to just get more miles rather than time, you know, being up in the, the hills and stuff. It really depends on, you know, what's going on with, the next race coming up. Um, and a lot of the times on, you know, Sundays, you know, I'll, I'll reach out to a couple people that I, I like to run with and see what they're doing, what, what they're training for. And I'll just, you know, it's more about having that time with, you know, other people, you know, being a truck driver, I don't 
necessarily spend much time. It's, it's pretty much, I'm in my head by myself most yeah. of you know, the week. So it's nice to get out and do some, some group runs on the weekends. And that's one of the things I w- want to uh, try to prioritize uh, in this year is to get out and do more of those group you know, activities and you know, just go exploring with people. Yeah, and I, I, I completely understand that. It's like we, we're all so busy, first of all, and it's always difficult to like match other people's schedules with yours. And so sometimes you're just like, no. But then like, I, I totally agree with you. Like, I, I'm always so glad on the days that I actually like have the patience to try to <laughs> line up a couple schedules and go right. in a group because we are in a sport, I think, that's very isolated and it's important to have that interaction and Otherwise, you know, people can get a little depressed and a little little too lonely out there, I think. Absolutely. And one thing that, you know, now that my, our kids are, you know, in school, uh, it's been nice to, you know, after we drop the kids off at school, my wife and I get to go out and run together. And I always, I always love those, you know, runs the most. We can kind of catch up on what's been going on with the kids and work and, you know, running what we had planned. So I, I really love being able to get out there and and do those kind of date runs we like to call them with her so oh that's awesome with i want to go back to your training just a little bit so do you focus more on mileage during the week do you focus more on specific workouts does it vary talk to us a little bit about kind of and and do you have a coach I'm, i'm very curious to kind of get into the the head of jake in regards to your training right yeah I only had one coach ever, and that was when I was training for Boston a few years back when I uh, was aiming for a certain time goal. But most of the time, uh, I'm self-coached. You know, it. I would love to have a coach. I don't know. Uh, it would be nice to. Ha- it was nice having that accountability and and not having to think of what I was going to do the next day. You know, have everything just planned out for the week. But uh, just with my schedule right now, a lot of the times when I get up to run, it's how I feel, you know, I, I get out yeah. for a mile or two and I'm like, okay, well, I'm feeling pretty good. I don't feel as tired. So let's try to, um, you know, pick up the pace this today. And, um, as far as mileage for the week, it's kind of depends on, you know, like I said, race wise, if I'm doing a, a hillier race coming up, I'll be out in the mountains a lot more. So the mileage won't get as high because I won't have as much time to be out there. Um, yeah. You know, when I was training to uh, run this looped uh, track race that I did in December, it was all just flat. So I was able to rack up, you know, 80, 90 miles a week, you know, because it was easy, just time wise. Uh, A lot of it's just how I feel during, you know, the first couple miles, um, how much time I have. Uh, I try not to get sucked into the numbers. You know, yeah. and it's really hard. I, I, you know, I have a couple friends, you know, I see what they're doing and they're racking up hundred mile weeks. And I say, <laughs> well, dang it, man, I should be able to do that too. But I've kind of learned over the past two years that, you know, I do really well around the 80 to 90 mile range a week. Um, every once in a while I'll get, I'll, I'll hit maybe a couple hundred miler uh, weeks during the year. But yeah, I try, I try not to focus too much on the numbers. I, I can definitely see times in my training where I ended up hurt because of doing that, where I was kind of forcing running at times where I was either tired or just really didn't want to be out there running. You know, I'm sure that happens to everybody where you're just 
there's a, there's a point where you need to push yourself to run when you don't want to. And then a point where you just like, you need to just back off and take a recovery day. So yeah, it's, I don't have a set, uh, mileage, you know, weekly goal that I try to hit, but it is something I look at, you know, it's hard. It's a numbers game. <laughs> Without a doubt. And, and I think you said something that is really, really important. And I, I hope everybody kind of takes to heart. And, and that is you listen to your body and yeah. <laughs> you know, like, I, I don't know about you, but like, I typically know within the first 10 to 20 minutes of a run, how I'm kind of going to feel that day. Like I'm really tired. The legs are extra heavy. And so how do you kind of overcome that temptation at times of like when your body is just exhausted, like you feel like you have lead legs, how do you kind of discipline yourself to not push through that and, and hurt yourself more? Cause I think that happens a lot to people. Oh, definitely. And I mean, I f- fall victim to that, you know, I, you try not to, but it, it's inevitable. Sometimes you just, you want every run to be fantastic. You know, you want to finish every run thinking, Oh, that was the best run I've ever had. And some days when you're, you're just not feeling it, uh, I'll go out and say, you know what? let's cut this one a couple miles short and come back and maybe do some core work or uh, swing the kettlebell around a little bit or just catch up on sleep, really. I mean, if if that's what your body's telling you, maybe that's just what you need. So, yes, you definitely have to learn to not get stuck on, okay, I told myself I was going to do eight miles. I'm going to do whatever it takes to get those eight miles, no matter if I end up, you know, hurt. It's just not worth it in the long run, really. Yeah, exactly. And I think you're a great example of, of someone that's been smart with your running career because, you know, we all see a couple of blazing guns here and there that come in at the start of a season and they're dominating for a couple of years, but then you never hear about them again. And, um, you know, I think we all have to ask ourselves, like, A, what are we really doing this for? And, and B, are we able to sustain it long term if it is something that we like to do? Yeah, exactly. I think, I think you being you know, a runner for eight years now and, and going on more, it's, it's important. So, um, talk to us a little bit about your recent 24 hour race. Cause I think it's remarkable. First of all, how did you not want to just blow your brains out running around a track <laughs> for 24 hours and, and talk to us a little bit about, you know, maybe some of the mental tricks and things that you use to get through that and, and, and just crush it. For sure. Uh, you know, I, Desert Solstice is an invitation-only race that uh, Era Viper Running puts on out in Arizona on a, uh, Phoenix on that one of the high school tracks out there. And I had run a 24-hour race uh, prior um, last year in May that qualified me to run it. And this was something that was so far out of my realm of thinking I was even going to be possibly be able to do. It just kind of landed in my lap and I said, you know what? I have to do this. It sounds like it's going to be miserable running that long on a track, but you know, it's one of those things where when the opportunity presents itself, you just got to take it. So, uh, I ended up registering for it and getting in because it is an invitational. There's only, they usually only have 20, uh, people that they allow in. And as the year progressed, uh, we started seeing a lot of like elite professional runners I and mean, you have your it's with ultra running it's kind of weird you have your you know 100 mile uh runners you know the big names walmsley rob carr you know those kind of guys 
But then you have this other totally different group of people who do these 24-hour, 48-hour, you know, six-day events that you don't hear much about. And so I was expecting, okay, I'm going to be running with, you know, this other group of 24-hour racers, kind of unknown people in the ultra world. Well, as the year progressed, we started getting these huge names, you know, Camille Heron and uh, Patrick Regan. And, like, it started to build this pressure of, like, how am I even going to stand up to these guys? You know, they're professionals. that They get paid to do this. Right. And, you know, as the year progressed, uh, I just kind of had to get into my head that, you know, you, you, you ran a race to qualify. You belong there. And so, you know, as for my buildup, I did, uh, you know, the mental side, I did uh, three uh, long track runs. I went up to a college up by where we live and uh, did, you know, I did a 50K one day on the track. Uh, I think I did two marathons and then one other longer. But, yeah, it was just, you know, I used to, you know, coming from that road background and running on the treadmill as much as I did, the, the mental side wasn't something I was too concerned about. I'm, I guess I can, you know, one of those people think it's kind of just zone out and, <laughs> you know, put my mind somewhere else, you know, in those long, you know, boring runs. But um, so let's talk about that, though, because that's that's really interesting. Like, I'm I'm literally dying to know, like, what are you thinking about <laughs> as you're going <laughs> around the track? Like, at a, maybe a multitude of, of, of thought processes. But what are you thinking about? <laughs> I don't know. It was a weird, weird experience because you're you're running but it's not like, like normally during races, I'm kind of by myself most of the time being on a track like that. You could see everybody and yes. your, your people are passing you and you're passing them. And I'm like running along and I'm thinking, you know, half of these people I like look up to, I idolize these, these guys and I'm running right next to them. This is like, it was blowing my mind. Like every mile I was just like, wow, this is crazy. And you know, you do the typical tricks, you listen to music, you listen to podcasts, you, you know, have conversations. And when you're out on the track for that long, it's not like you're, you're I mean, unless you're Zach Bitter, you're not running 630 miles. So you're not, yeah. you know, pushing the pace. You just, you find something that feels comfortable and you just stay there as long as you can. And I don't know, it was interesting, you know, you're, a, uh, you know, quarter mile track, there's a lot going on. <laughs> it's it's entertaining, really. So are are you did mention, you know, there was times you would kind of just be with a bunch of people, maybe have some conversations, shoot the shit. And then are there times where like what what I'm like very curious about, Jake, is like, how do you know where everyone's at? Are there people keeping track? Like are people they screaming like this dude just got a lap on you. <laughs> <laughs> well, they, it was cool. They had a big like flat screen TV set up. So every time you went over the timing, mat, your name would pop up at the top of the list and okay. it would give you, you know, your last split, your mileage, the time you, so you would basically see everybody's, you know, where they were, uh, place wise during the race. So that was, it was kind of cool because every four hours we would switch directions so, oh, okay. Yeah, it kind of make you know, it a running, little less. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you would always kind of be looking forward to that four-hour mark to be able to turn turn around and have a different kind of, you know, scenery. Or it's basically all the same, <laughs> but <laughs> yeah. 
Oh man, that's insane. And, um, you obviously won the race. You're a very humble guy. Everybody, Jake kicked ass. You won the race. So, well, second did place. you <laughs> second, Camille, but didn't yeah. you first, first male Camille set a new, uh, women's world record, which was awesome. So yeah, she was the one that overall took the win overall oh, badass totally that's what i love yeah. about ultra running is women are, are equally i think if not more strong at times than the men um but you won the men's overall which is incredible did you keep the lead most of the race or was there a time you made a big push what was the progression of that 24 hours um well we had several we had i think two or three guys who were just going there to uh set their own personal 100 mile records Okay. Um, Oswaldo, I think he was from Mexico. He he set a new Mexican record there. And then there was wow. another guy. I can't remember his name. But so those guys were like laughing us. And then okay. um, like Zach Bitter and Patrick Regan, they were uh, ahead of me as well. And they were going for the 24 hour, you know, time or distance. And they ended up beating me in the 100 mile distance getting there first but then after that they kind of fell off i think zach had a problem with his quad and patrick i'm not sure exactly what happened with him so i ended up catching up with them and then i guess it was around 18 hours in um i pulled into first for okay the 24 hours and i kind of just held on to that uh, it was interesting the last i would say two or three hours um this race, this little background, this race, a lot of people use to get on the U.S. Uh, world's team, 24-hour world's team that competes every two years. Uh, next year, it's going to be in France, but they use this race to qualify to get into that race. So we had uh, three or four guys towards the end of the race who were all competing for these last couple spots to be on the team. So okay. they started to pick up the pace, which had me worried. I thought they were going to eventually catch me. So I had to make sure that I was keeping a big enough distance between them and me um, because they were all competing for these last couple spots. And initially, when I went into the race, my goal was to hit 150 miles. So wow. I ended up hitting that, I think, um, about 20, 22 and a half hours. So wow. once I hit that, that 150 my mind kind of shifted from that's that's the goal you want to get to to now it's just let's just finish the race and yeah. i kind of kick myself now because looking back i probably could have pushed a little bit harder um i think it was just that mentally i got to 150 and i kind of said okay you 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 did your goal this this is what we came for so let's just try to hold on to uh being first place male and yeah, that's why I, I'm dying to go back and do another one of these races and really give it my all just to see exactly if I can possibly hit 160, you know, or even further. So, yeah, yeah it, was, it was fun watching those guys pick up the pace, though, to really compete for those last spots. And how many, how many spots were available for that opportunity to, to go and race at the Worlds? Um, I believe, well, they, they take the top six uh, longest distance races over t a two-year period of time and okay uh, i think the number six spot you had to run i believe is 151 miles so when i hit 150 i thought okay well i'm definitely going to be in the, one of those top six spots and then when i finished i was at 157 which bumped me up into the second position so you know there was these these guys who were racing 
to get those last couple, you know, they were all gunning for like 152, 153, 154. So yeah, it was really a competition just to get on that team. Yeah, that's so awesome. And I know you've kind of expressed on your social media the desire to um, kind of just keep crushing this niche. Is this is this kind of the niche within ultra running you're feeling most excited about right now, or do you have your sights on on something different? I think for this year, it's definitely something I'm going to focus all of my energy into. Um, you know, I love doing the mountain races, um, but I just I think right now. I'm putting, you know, if I, if I do end up making the, this world's team, I, I really want to perform the best that I can. Um, I do have one other mountainous race, um, in April to get my Western States qualifier. But after that, it's pretty much going to be all flat running. I'm going to, I have two 24 hour races that I I'm thinking about getting into just to dial in, uh, my race strategy, my nutrition. But then after June, I'm pretty much going to be no races, just solely focusing on, you know, doing really well at, at Worlds. So just just to clear this up, so are you qualified to go to Worlds in France, or is there one other step or two that you still need to, to bag? I am officially in the second spot of the six. And okay. from what everybody's telling me, I'm pretty much guaranteed in because there's only, I think, three or four more uh, – certified courses that you could actually run to get on that team and like people were saying the desert this year that running you know 150 usually won you the race so we had such a a high group of guys who were pushing it just to get on this world's team that these results are not normal like the top five guys who finished that could have won the race any other year right so right. it was just amazing having that many like really uh just amazing athletes out there all competing for these spots dude that is seriously insane i mean you, you've got to be so stoked to go to france like what an experience that's gonna be oh yeah and i mean to do it for you know the u.s team like it's like my olympics bit pretty much it's like it oh, blows yeah. my mind you know <laughs> i'd be able to wear the u.s jersey and it's amazing Freaking amazing, dude. Well, very, very cool. Um, what inspires you to, to run? That's a great question. Um, I think it's, it's one of those things where mentally it just makes me feel complete. I, you know, there's days when I, I don't get to run and I feel like, gosh, you're so lazy. You, you know, I didn't do anything today. It kind of just, it starts my day, uh, and it's given me so much confidence um, just over the years. I used to be a very shy person and never really talked to anybody. Um, it's just opened up so many different avenues in my life that I can't even imagine not having it. Um, yeah, it's just, it's just kind of, it's just like eating, you know, we all have to eat. You know, I feel like yeah. I just, I, I need to run, you know, it, it, it sets my mind in a positive uh, space every day and it's just something it's a i'll totally admit it's an addiction you know you you want that feeling all the time and yeah yeah it just it's everything to me right now and i hate to you know be one of those people that says you know don't let running define you but it's just it's it's who it's in my blood it's who i am it, it completes my entire day yeah and i mean look there's there's 
<laughs> there's a, a million other types of identities I think one could have that are way, way worse than being right. a kick-ass ultra runner that's addicted to running. Like, yeah. it's all good. It's all good. Um, well, that's beautiful. I, I, I love I love that. And um, I want to ask you something because I think this is fascinating. And I think I think more runners should, should talk about this. But particularly male runners, I... I have been pondering this, Jake, that on those days where we don't get to run or we're off, there's literally like a hormone imbalance sometimes. <laughs> like, like I know my wife will be like, why are you so pissy today? Like, what is wrong? Like, there's just something off. Do you get that? Do you get this kind of weird hormone imbalance sometimes, like when you're not running? Oh, definitely. Um and and my wife will be the first one to point it out to me too when I I realize Gee, I'm I'm kind of like being an ass right now you know <laughs> I it was a there was a period last year where I I had gotten injured and I couldn't run for about a month and and she hated it she was like that was the most <laughs> miserable I've ever seen you that month and it really it's it's sad to like put everything into one activity that's going to make or break your day and I think that's one of the biggest reasons where, you know, when I look at my race schedule throughout the year, I think, am I going to be able to perform at the level I want at every single one of these races? Or am I looking to be able to do this for many, many years? You know, like we had touched on earlier, these guys who come right. in, you know, are on fire and then they get hurt or they fall off their game or whatever, and you never hear from them again. I think I would much rather not perform as well at some of these races because I didn't, you know, kill myself to have that, you know, longevity in the sport, because I know later in life, I, I, it's going to have the same effect running, you know, that it has on me right now. I want to be able to do this, you know, up into my eighties, you know, you hear all these guys setting records in their eighties and it's just amazing. And I think I got into running later in life. So I don't have, you know, that, collegiate you know background where you beat yourself up it, right it's been a, a slow progression to where i am now so hopefully i'll be able to do this for a really long time and that's that's what i strive for yep that's the game man i love that i think that's so inspiring is there um and this may be very difficult to, to answer but is there one and it's funny because like you were saying and i love that and i think that's a great <clears throat> lesson for people to take away is like even at the level you are and this beautiful climb of kind of getting up into these elite ranks, you had your, your doubts and your insecurities about your abilities and like kind of this question in your head, like, man, do I really belong here? Right. And I, I think that's, I think that's something that everybody faces, you know, not just runners, but, you know, kind of getting to the point where you're like, yes, I do belong here. Like I've, I've earned this, I've worked hard. What, what elites or and it's funny because like i said you are in this category now but is there is there one elite ultra runner or athlete in particular that you've always looked up to and admired or that's inspired you more than any of the others um i think uh bronco billy uh, jeff browning he's one of the guys that you know he's been in the sport for a really long time he's you know getting up there in age but he's still crushing it and I look at what he's doing. I, it gives me a lot of hope that, you know, he's just been so consistent over his whole career that that's what I strive to do. And I, I mean, at the, at the end of the day, 
you know, I will never, I will be a, a truck driver till I retire. You know, I, no one's ever going to be able to pay me enough to be a runner, a professional runner. This is more of a hobby than it is, you know, what I'm trying to make money off of. You know, any, any sponsorship or anything that I get from what I do is just bonus. You know, it's, right. <laughs> I, I'm never going to be a professional runner. I, it's just not going to happen. And that's, I'm totally fine with that. You know, I, we all strive to get the best out of ourselves. And, you know, we see the elites and how glamorous, you know, being able to, you know, live in the mountains and go run every day and do all these workouts, but that's not my reality. And it, that's fine. You know, I, I just enjoy uh, doing what I can do and uh, getting to experience those, you know, races or runs with people that I meet along the way. That's what I, I look forward to most of my life. Oh, that's, that's beautiful, man. And that's, that's really a, a wonderful attitude of gratitude, I think, because, yeah, unfortunately, man, we picked the wrong sport. Why couldn't we have, like, <laughs> gone in the NBA or something, man? I <laughs> know, <laughs> oh, it's literally, like, we, we all have to laugh at ourselves sometimes. It's like, all right, we're, we're, we're not only not getting paid to run, like, we're paying to run. Like, right. Like, it's just so backwards, man. Oh yeah. Um, but it's beautiful, it, and and I I think a great message people always need to remember is like, and and this was a huge moment for me when I was in elite mountain bike racing. It's like, dude, if you're not if you're not getting paid like six figures to do this, like you better damn well just have fun. Like right. you better enjoy it because. Yeah, if it's not a job, if you're not like getting contracts like Killian, you know, from Solomon and all these big sponsors, like we we better enjoy it. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I I listen to a lot of podcasts and I hear a lot of these elites talking about you know the pressures of having to perform for their sponsors and you know I have three kids to worry about. You know, I go out and you know get hurt, I can still you know technically drive a truck. You know, if I have a yeah. you know little leg pull or you know something that's not going to take them out from driving but these guys if they get hurt they're done you know they they don't have anything to go back on so it's hard for me to put all of my you know eggs in one basket when i know i have these other responsibilities that are way more important would you say would you say running has made you sorry that was i had a call Okay. <laughs> um, would you say it's made you a better family man overall, just as a better human and why? Uh, yeah, I, I definitely think so. Um, I think as far as running, um, you know, I, I hope some of what I do rubs off on my kids, just showing them that, you know, you set your, your mind to doing something, you go out to hit a certain goal or, you know, a certain time in a race and you put in the hard work, hopefully they see that putting in that hard work does pay off in the end. And sometimes you come up short and sometimes you go way beyond what you think you could have ever done, but hopefully they see some of that. I think, you know, like going back to the, the confidence side, um, you know, j just being around people, I think, you know, the, my kids are kind of homebodies. You know, they've never really played sports. My oldest is finally getting into uh, doing cross country at school, and he's starting to see some of those benefits of being around people and 
pushing his body in ways that he probably didn't think he could. It just, it really gives you uh, the confidence to tackle anything in life, really. I mean, anytime you come up to any kind of uh, problems in life, when you've run distances that you never thought you could run, you, you kind of look at it and laugh and say, this is nothing con- compared to doing that. You know, it, it just provides right. you that, you know, that background of being, the, being able to get through tough situations that you never thought you could. And just having that uh, confidence to look at it a certain way and just say, I can, I can handle this. You know, it's, it's not going to be that hard. Yeah, dude, I would say if you can run over 150 miles around a track, <laughs> 24 <laughs> hours, dude, you can do anything. You can, you can, um, you know, uh, calm down when there's an asshole in traffic or, or whatever. Like you, you probably literally feel like you can do anything. Do you anchor back to a certain race or moment more than other particular moments? Is there one thing that you really anchor back to in life? Um, yeah, definitely. Well, one thing that always sticks out in my mind during races where things were tough is my first hundred mile race. Um, I got about 80 miles. Whoa. Um, my, I, I wear contacts. Well, I did wear contacts quite a bit back then. And my ice had gotten so dry that, uh, I started to, uh, everything was starting to go white. And we were coming, the sun was coming up and we were coming down this mountain. And I, I said to the guy that was pacing, I was like, man, it's like really foggy out here right now. And he's like, oh. what are you talking about? It's totally clear. Like the sun's coming up. And I thought, oh boy, something's going on. And so I ended up having to take my contacts out and basically almost run blind the last what? 20 miles of my first hundred miler just to finish. And my God, yeah, I, I look back at that race and I think, how did I get through that? You know, it, I, I was so determined to finish that race that I wasn't going to let anything slow me down or, you know, deter me from getting across that finish line. And there's a lot of times during races when things start getting tough and I'd say to myself, you know what, dude, you ran like 20 miles, not being able to see. So, if, you know, whatever pain you're feeling now or negative thoughts that you're feeling, just remember that you got through something that was that tip difficult and you still finished. So I, yeah, that, Absolutely. that one race, I, I definitely look back on. That's incredible, man. Why, why was the eyesight blurry? Did you ever figure out kind of what was going on? Um, I forget the exact name of it. It's, I think it's called corneal edemia. Um, it's something that according to Walter and several other people have experienced. I, I think it's just a lack of uh, oxygen getting to your eyes. Wow. And the race was really dusty, so that might have played some part of it. But yeah. uh, it did happen one other time at my second 100-miler in Zion, and it was really windy. And mm. I, ever since then, I've, when I get to about the 60-mile mark, or whenever the sun starts going down, I usually switch into glasses. So you'll see That's a lot smart. of my finish line photos with glasses where I didn't have glasses on when I started. So... Well, again, you learned. That's uh, yeah. that's crazy. It <laughs> <laughs> scared the crap out of me too. We we got into the aid station and they told me, "Oh, we'll just lay down." And of course, they started getting on the internet, you know, trying to figure out what was going on, and it seemed to get wow. worse. So, but we figured it out. Wow. Well, yeah. If you can run the last twenty miles and a hundred with blurry vision, you truly can do anything in life. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> 
Um, two last questions, Jake. What what would you feel like has been your biggest training breakthrough in this last year, and and why? Well, you know that's kind of hard to say. Um, I think one of the biggest things I've been focusing on is um, going out on fasted runs in the morning. Um, I used to prior to doing this, I used to, you know, get up, I would have, you know, my bowl of oatmeal or something in my stomach. I felt like I needed to have food in my belly to go out and run. And this past year I've been doing a lot of fasted runs. And I think in races, it's really helped me, uh, not needing to rely so much on, uh, as much nutrition. Um, I usually, you know, if I'm running anything under 10 miles, I don't even usually bring water. So yeah. I, I can get by a lot longer during races with less nutrition and less water. So I think that's one of the things that I've noticed has been a big benefit to my racing training that way. That's awesome. And I mean, is it, is it kind of, is, is it all having to do with kind of the theory of like, you prefer to burn the fat and, and not kind of go a little slower and, and burn off of fats or why is that? Yeah, that's exactly it. Um, I think, you know, there's a big discussion on, you know, the high fat, low carb, you know, a lot of people believe in it, don't believe in it. Um, I'm a firm believer in that our bodies store enough fat that if you're not, uh, running at a hard effort that you can just utilize that fat that's in your body to, to carry you. And yeah, you definitely need, um, a certain amount of carbs, you know, when you're climbing up hills or, you know, you want to step on the gas and get moving, you definitely need those carb supplies. But <clears throat> for the most part, the races I'm doing and the running I'm doing, it's, it's just low aerobic, uh, running and you don't really need all that extra stuff to, to, um, power you through it. You just use the fat that's in your body. Yeah. I really think there is something to that. Um, and not to go off tangent, but I, I've experimented a little this year as well with that. Like mm-hmm. I, I don't do, um, I'm vegan, so I don't do like animal fats or, or butters, but there's these, uh, raw cacao nibs that I've been playing around with oh, yeah. that are essentially fat. And I'll just do that in coffee and then I'll go run. And I've noticed much longer sustained energy. It's been really, really interesting yeah. without any food. Right. Yeah. And you have, you know, less chance of having, you know, GI issues when you're out there running. I used to, some of those mornings I'd get up and be out there, you know, four miles and be like, oh boy, I got to get back to the house real quick. <laughs> you know, yeah. <laughs> those yeah. are the worst days. But yeah, just being able to just not, I mean, it's great not having to carry much out there with you too. You know, you just go out, get your run done and come up, come back home and you're, you feel great. Absolutely. Okay, Jake, final question. And I'm going to steal this one from Tim Ferriss, because he's a genius, and he always asks this on his podcast, but I really love this question. If you had a billboard right on one of the major freeways in California for everybody to see from now until forever, what would be that one sentence or saying or quote or thought that you would put on that billboard that you would like everyone to remember? Oh, that's a great question. Um... Maybe it's, it's something that I think that it has taken me this past year of, you know, racing. Uh, you're stronger than you think you are. Mm. I think that's something I, I look back and I say, you know, all those times where I, I doubted myself that I couldn't do something, you know, I, I probably would have done myself a lot of good in believing in that, you know, people, 
they don't give themselves enough credit and they let their mind talk them out of doing things that really they had no reason to, you know, have that happen. You know, I, I definitely think that, especially with these longer ultras, you know, your mind controls a lot of it. And if you go into it thinking, oh, I don't know if I'm going to be able to do this, it's going to be hard, you know, you're setting yourself for, up for failure. So I think, yeah, just telling yourself that you are strong enough to do it, you can get through these things. I think that would help a lot of people. That's beautiful. All right, I'll make arrangements. I'll see. I'll call a few billboard companies. I love it. Jake, I had a lot of fun here, man. This has been wonderful. Uh, what's the best place for our listeners and people just to say hello to you on social media? Yeah, I'm mostly on Instagram, uh, ultra underscore trucker. Um, I'm on Facebook too. So those are the two primary ones. Fantastic. We will have uh, links to that in the show notes and uh, we'll have this up very shortly for people to enjoy. Jake, thank you so much for your time today, man. Really appreciate oh, thank it. You, Brock. It's great talking to you. All right, you guys. Um, thanks so much. And we will catch everyone on the next episode. Bye for now. So I hope you guys enjoy that episode as much as I did. And I know for me, my biggest takeaway was just realizing that we are all capable of doing and being more than we think. The mind is more powerful than the body. And we truly are worthy of that. And I love some of the stories that Jake got into with this. If you guys have enjoyed the episode, please subscribe. Please tell it with tell. <laughs> please tell your friends about it. And we're going to be bringing new episodes out every single week with amazing guests. So thank you guys so much for your time and attention. And until then, be inspired. Yeah.